Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go, and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Drew Shulman. And I'm Marie Vigourou. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 6, Episode 15. Eh, cut. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's roll back a little bit and take that shot again from the top. Ugh, not again. Three, two, one, go. And I'm Marie Vigourou. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 6, Episode 15, The French Mistake. Let's get this show on the road. So I'm realizing that I sent you into this episode without any kind of forewarning about it. So I'm I'm so excited to hear what you have to say. I feel like when there's an episode that I need some warning about or like some context or there's some level of like, ooh, I can't wait for Drew to watch this one. I go in with like a different level of expectations. Usually it's going to be a really funny, silly one or it's going to be a huge reveal and I'm going to get like a, oh my God moment. So I got neither of those from this episode because I had no warning. And also the title did not help at all. We're going to be talking about it. This episode, out of nowhere, completely off guard, I was literally sitting there with a bag of chips watching this, and I'm just like, what what just happened? (laughs) Uh, uh, what? This number of silly callbacks and jokes in the realm of, like, weird gimmick episodes. Oh, this was chef's kiss. I would argue that this is not a gimmick episode. This is, um, like, supernatural at its best. And it's like genuinely a masterpiece and a masterclass in writing for TV. Oh, yeah. No, this episode like deserves an award. I am going to have a very, well, I want to say special, but definitely different kind of content for critical time. So I'm very excited about that. But for now, Drew, would you like to give us a recap? Count me down. Three, two, one, go. The... Boys are in Bobby's place doing some research. They're out of booze because Bobby's out in a storm for a booze run. That's not important at all. I don't know why I brought it up. And then all of a sudden, boom, it's everyone's favorite Balthazar, who's still just as attractive as always. And he's just like, do what you're doing. I'm working on things. I'm going to be sassy. By the way, this is a spell. Here's a key. I'm saving you. Pushes out window. Where do they end up? Not outside in the rain, but on set of Supernatural, the TV show, as Jensen and Jared, which just, like, baffling. There's no magic in this world. They are real people. They have lives. They have a spouse. Well, one of them has a spouse we know of. They get interviewed. You know, Dean finds himself suddenly in makeup and very uh, weirded out by it. And then sees a million babies and is even more weirded out by it and almost feels sick, which I think is really weird and I want to discuss. Then suddenly, one of uh, Raphael's assassin hunters comes in, who also has no powers, so they beat him up. And then he kills Misha, which is super traumatic, surprisingly, for this episode. Uh, and ultimately, they get back to their world, and they're back to normal. And the whole thing was like a trick, really, which is kind of a weird meta context thing. What a trippy episode time. Definitely trippy. I think that's that's the right that's the right word for it. When I first watched it, I actually remember the first time I watched it. And it, I was literally just like, my jaw was on the floor the whole time that I was watching <laughs> it. Because I was like, I cannot believe, like, I was like, is this allowed? <laughs> I loved it. When they did the initial like fall through the window and like they were on set, I was expecting it to be like, oh, it was just a really funny blooper they kept and they wanted as part of the intro and they'll go back to the episode or like something. I like legitimately had to like wait till after the intro sequence and I was like, wait, this is real. All right, let's move into the long game. I've got a few points that I'd like to get across uh, before we move into story time. So this episode introduces the concept of alternate universes in the supernatural universe. True. This is our real first, like, proper crossing of universes. Yeah. This is our first AU. We do get to see Balthazar again. We'll get back to him at the end of of the long game. Don't you love that Bobby just keeps lamb blood in his fridge next to the pizza? (laughs) I was, it was one of those moments where I was like, he's going to find it. No problem. Like, I'm not even surprised. Personally, I would recommend like a basement fridge for this stuff, like just keeping it separate from the food, you know? I don't know. I feel like the basement fridge is like your desserts and your like beers and the upstairs fridge is like your leftovers and your beers and like ritualistic things next to the desk where the study is. 
Well, I mean, I believe that that's something we're going to have to agree to disagree on. Well, when you come to my place, I'm reminding you now, the upstairs fridge is food and sacrificial things, the downstairs fridge is beer and snacks. Good to know. This has zero bearing on the rest of the show, but I absolutely had to talk about it because like, I just love the fact that they actually cast people to play some of the big players like behind the camera. And I chuckle every time that I hear the actor who plays Serge Ladouceur speak with like a French Canadian <laughs> accent. I'm like, oh my I God. love this so much. The funny thing too is it took me a moment to put that together because from like I legitimately like, was looking up somebody else in the casting when I realized, oh, that wasn't Kripke in the episode. That was an actor playing Kripke. Like, even Sarah Gamble's voice isn't Sarah Gamble. Well, they're not actors. <laughs> it is a unionized job. You have to be careful. Like, so not everybody can just play, or they would have to be, like, cast as cameo, and then it's a whole other thing. So, yeah, it's just, it's better to hire actors in, in this kind of industry. So you've probably heard me say a few times, like, oh, seasons and it is 100% in reference to this episode. <laughs> I didn't even put that together, how often you've muttered that to yourself, uh, yeah. and how often their version of Bobby does. Oh my god. I or have Robert. to say that the Bob Singer in this episode is probably like the most relatable character, which honestly, <laughs> coming from me, is like huge, considering my feelings for Robert Singer. But anyway. It, it is just like... Prime, like, parent energy. Remember in Live Free or Twihard when I commented that Dean was, like, making fun of Robert Pattinson's photo? And I was like, there's a photo of Jensen Ackles, like, in this exact same pose. Well. Well. <laughs> this exact photo shows up when Sam searches for Jensen Ackles at the beginning of the episode. We'll get into Jensen a little bit more in the story time, but, like, the bits we do get of him are gold. This is one of two episodes taking place in Canada. Uh, this episode takes place in Vancouver, which is where the show was filmed. <laughs> Their disdain for Canada is so, like, painful. And I don't know when we'll be able to bring it up, so I need to say it here. The police tape at Misha's crime scene has Canadian flags on it. <laughs> maple leaves. It says, caution, oh, no. danger, and between them there is a black maple leaf. I'm letting all of our American listeners know we don't have maple leaves on literally everything. On most things, but not our caution tape. <laughs> our caution tape just says caution. And I will give points too that when uh, I think it's Dean pays off the man outside of the crime scene, he's holding Canadian, it's actual Canadian money. Like it looks it's like Canadian, Canadian money, money which I absolutely love. In the fandom wiki, it does say like, Canadian money can be blue, green, and purple. <laughs> just like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> like, we have to educate people on that. Yes, we have funny money. We get it. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess not everybody has been to Canada, right? And, like, we don't have that many, like, Canadian shows out there. So it, it makes sense. I just thought it was funny. Misha Collins is canonically dead in this alternate universe. I'm assuming we don't, but, like, do we ever get back to this universe for anything? And does Misha remain dead there? Or is this, like, non-canon because they were not supposed to be there? Like. I don't know. It just feels weird knowing there's an alternate universe out there that is technically our world as close to possible and Misha's just, like, dead. Well, Eric Kripke is also canonically dead in that <laughs> AU. <laughs> true. True he is. So is Robert Singer. And Lou Bolo, who is the stunt coordinator for the show. Who I think played himself funny. Absolutely. Lou Bolo did play himself I also love that Serge Ladoussard is literally like dodging bullets. Like, yeah, it's just like I was moving gonna out ask, of the like, way. Did I just like, did I just like miss see that? Was that just like a weird, like, he had me moving his like, no, no, he fully like neoed that bullet. Apparently, it's a, it's a bit of a, like, it's an inside joke to say that he's always cool, calm, and collected. <laughs> I do love that. I mean, I guess to have to be like director of photography on Supernatural, you would have to be like cool, calm, and collected all the time. Like nothing has to phase you. Back to our canon verse, I guess. Uh, Castiel now has the weapons of heaven that Balthazar had stashed away somewhere. Balthazar's place in this war, like he came in very much, I'm neutral. And then the next time we saw him, it felt like he was much more on Raphael's side but still, like, not picking sides. And now he's just like, 
Raph tried to kill me. Hey, Castiel, here's all the weapons, which I'm okay with, but I just like to kind of see, like, that transition he went through. He didn't just, like, you know, he kind of had his own agenda and then realized he had to make a choice. I feel like in this kind of, like, conflict, people who are, quote-unquote, neutral or who are kind of, like, in it for themselves, in this case, I think, is what was going on. Like, they kind of realize that, like, the, the 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 pressure is mounting, and so they have to end up picking a side. And I think that that's exactly what happened. I I agree with you. So Balthazar does tell Cass, now that you have your sword, try not to die by it. And this felt, or this always felt like a really odd thing to say. Because even though I know that like he just gave Cass the weapons of heaven, I would assume that he'd be talking about like the weapons of heaven. At the very least, that they would be more than just a sword. What other references to swords do we have on this show? This hit me right away. Like, one, I think I understand, unless there's more to it that I'm missing, that it was more of the metaphorical sword. Like, you have your weapons, don't go crazy by them. Like, don't think that you're unstoppable now was kind of the, like, warning. We already have had the term sword used in reference to a weapon that angels would wield in vessels. So I'm very intrigued to know if there's more to this weapon that maybe there's some sort of vessel this time or another vestige of angel heaven. Let me be a bit more clear. The last time that we've had a reference to a sword was indeed with in reference to a vessel, but it wasn't vessels. It was one vessel. It was the Michael sword. It was Dean. So now that you have your sword, try not to die by it. Feels really ominous. Balthazar saying, now that you have Dean back, don't give your life for him. Because I know you will because you love him. More kissy noises. It sort of feels like there is definitely like a reference to the Michael sword. Yeah, it, it, like, it seems very pointed. Sword pun intended. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm like, <laughs> I like it. Our theme this week is meta-textuality. So before meta was like a Facebook thing, which makes me incredibly angry, by the way, uh, it was a Greek prefix that meant after or beyond. Now, the most accessible definition of meta-textuality that I've found on Al Gore's internet was from a researcher called Pat Thompson, who wrote... The word metatext simply means a secondary text that talks about a main text. So for the purposes of this episode, I would like it if we could work under the assumption that metatextuality is how this episode talks about itself and about the rest of the show. So like the commentary that it makes on the rest of the show. And, and I think we're going to dive into Cass slash Misha here pretty quickly, because I feel like Misha's interpretation of Misha, which is such a weird meta thing to say, it, it feels like an exaggeration of what I've already known about him as a person from his online persona to the, I literally just today got served like 30 blooper reels of him on Supernatural. Just him. Like that was TikTok today. was like, here's Misha being adorable on set. Deal with it. Which I think was re weirdly poignant for today's conversation. So talking about Misha, who seems to, like I said, just be a parody of what we've come to understand Misha to be, uh, from his tweets uh, to his being pranked by J Squared. It really just seems like a really fun bit to see him in, which I think just ultimately makes his very bloody death, however, really surprising, even more shocking, and kind of like, it, it like really plays like a juxtaposition to what we've seen of him so far. So we get like this very jovial, comedic relief version of Misha, which is like an exaggeration of himself to get literally like him being murdered in cold blood is like very heavy to watch. Yeah, I agree. Um, if I can step back from that for a second, like when he saw the original script, Misha apparently asked for his lines to be like even more of a parody of him. He was like, oh no, I want to be more of an asshole. Like he was down to do this and like poke fun at himself. 
if we can kind of like paint a picture, like he's wearing a shirt that says Namaste. He's always on Twitter. <laughs> he wears like these big wooly sweaters. He's driving a Prius. He's like basically an exaggerated version of like a mid 30s, a hipster of the 20 of 2010. And like, a couple of things here for those who may not know. Misha actually tweeted the Hola, Misha Amigos tweet. <laughs> it's still up, by the way. You can go on Twitter and look for it. He was super active on Twitter at the time, like replying to fans and everything. Like it was a complete different time on the internet, like 2010, 13 years ago only, and yet like completely different. The other thing is that the Supernatural set was really well known for like the actors constantly pulling pranks on each other, particularly J2, Jensen and Jared, on Misha. So like, yeah, those things are all like commentaries on what it was like to be on the production or like to be part of production or to be on the set of Supernatural. Like, obviously, I was not following the production of the show while it was being filmed. So I feel like I'm sort of secondhand understanding the role they played with each other in their personal lives, which is mostly stuff from behind the scenes, the pranks, the jokes, the the little squabbles back and forth. So seeing a version of Misha that is like an exaggeration of what I've already come to know of him felt very inviting in a way to kind of like remind me like, yeah, you are a fan of Misha. You know Misha. Like, yes, it's an exaggeration, but it's for you. But the only downside though is because we never really get a Cass and Misha crossover. We get them very separate as opposed to Dean and Sam, Jared Jensen. There's not really as much to like get out of a meta context for the two of them. Like in the analytical sense, like I feel like we can't really like the way we're going to discuss Dean and Sam and how they kind of portray like their alter universe selves and discuss that. I would have loved to have gotten more of that from Cass being in Misha's shoes I think would have been the most hilarious thing, but also impossible to do in a single episode. But I think it just gives more credit to how much I enjoyed Sam and Dean's role in this episode and how they kind of were able to develop some character based on their not being Jensen and Jared. And then on the flip side, we do have Cass in this episode, who we don't get a lot of. We do have this moment where he kind of reveals that he's willing to use Sam and Dean more so than before, which I don't like his development for him. It's kind of mean. Uh, so I agree. It sort of makes me wonder or makes us wonder in general, like if he's able to do this, then what else is he capable of? But again, like because I'm dedicated to seeing things from Cass's perspective, I'll say that I think this should be a wake up call for Sam and Dean and for the viewers as well, that like the civil war in heaven is a much bigger deal than we've been told because we haven't really seen the effects of it. We haven't really seen any of the death and suffering in part because Cass hasn't told Sam and Dean, but also because we haven't had an episode dedicated to exploring that. And so watching this now, like I can really tell how much the, the writers this season like purposely obfuscated the war in heaven and this is like one of the consequences that Cass is getting desperate. Cass is going from hiding this from them to realizing that he can't hide it anymore so if they're gonna be around they might as well be useful which I don't love as a development again but it's understandable. It's the you know yes I did this and feelings aside I, I do also love the irony that J Square seems to often prank Misha, and here we have Cass kind of playing a trick on Sam and Dean in the sense that the keys they had were fake, so the whole thing was like a fake out for uh, for Raphael, which um, kind of that like universal cosmic irony for just us, the audience, in an episode that's already so meta is kind of interesting and funny. It feels like a very different scale of things, <laughs> but I agree. <laughs> like, oh. Let me make you, let me, I don't know. They've done some really rotten things to each other. I That's what I've heard too. So I like that in this episode, nothing ever really got like too out of hand. It was kind of all jovial and fun and screen safe. Because I have heard, I don't know any specific, but I've heard there's been some real mean tr tricks. So while we got a lot of Cass and Misha, but separate, I feel like Dean was really underutilized this episode. Like it seems we don't get nearly as good a look into the world of Jensen. Uh, with the exception of his past in soap operas, which, again, was gold, uh, and the photos. The only Jensen piece we really get, and I'm 
feel like I might be reading into it too much is while they're having their kind of shopping spree moment, he has a maxed out credit card. But I'm not sure if I'm over analyzing it and it's some kind of content of like, oh, Jensen is broke and doesn't have money and the cards are maxed out. Or is it to show that he's just been, you know, using the money right now and has like maxed out the card just sitting here now? I sort of always saw it as him just like maxing out the card just sitting here now because he's like, I have money for the first time. Let me spend it all however I want. We do get like a few extra bits and pieces here and there for Jensen. Like, for example, when Sam and Dean walk into his trailer, there's what I assume to be dailies playing on the TV. But the thing is, like, they're all of Jensen. So, like, the assumption here is that Jensen constantly has dailies of himself playing in the trailer, which I think is, like, truly hilarious. We also get to see Dean react to the fact that Jensen uh, has played on Days of Our Lives, like, with a real clip. And, <laughs> yes. And this is happening while the Jensen dailies are still playing in the background. Like, it's just, it's so narcissistic. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. As much as we get of Jensen, especially in the trailer, like, I kind of love the the dichotomy of, like, Sam noticing the fish, but Dean noticing the helicopter. Like, just, like, who put a 300-pound fish tank in here? I guess Jensen did. Like, I really want to know, like, that seems like, would he really have that in his trailer? I would love to know that for a fact. I don't know, actually. Like, I feel like it's the kind of thing, like, you only ever see in the movies a fish tank in a trailer. I don't imagine you actually get one of those. That seems ridiculous. It does seem ridiculous, which makes it even funnier. <laughs> Dean just seems like nonplussed by the whole thing, which is weird because of how much he loved being involved in film production last time. Like, I understand the, like, traumatic nature of being kicked out of your dimension, but you'd think of, like, of the two, he'd at least be sort of excited to be on set and learn more about Jensen or the world or even just how, like, fans feel about him. Like, they'd be like, while they make fun of Jensen for being vain, I feel it was a part of Dean that would, like, immediately Google, like, news about Jensen. Like, what are they, what are they saying about the guy who plays me? I love that. <laughs> so, okay. So, if we can jump back, um, if we can follow your lead and jump back into the text of the show, I think that this was just too much for Dean, personally. And this is just, like, how I see it. We know that he, we do know that he loves sets and working on sets, but I'm just not sure that he would love being the actor on the set. And I think that this, like, we see that very clearly in the scene where he's trying to act, but just ends up looking like incredibly constipated, which jumping back into metatextuality here, Jensen again showing like how great he is in really strange acting situations because what we're seeing is Jensen playing Dean, playing Jensen, playing Dean. Okay, we that moment, that scene, the the calls they make, the like staring at his spot on the ground, his mark, <laughs> Sam's like muttering of things and like Arms Super stiff flailing, Frankenstein like. monster's arms. Just the arm perfectly straight in front of him. But yes. <laughs> like Dean does the Batman voice at a point. <laughs> Which he wasn't doing before, but starts doing it, then corrects Sam about doing it. I know, I love the voice. Oh my god. So it feels very weird to be talking about Sam playing Jared like we did with Jensen and Dean. Uh, I think the best part here is we get this, like, weird distorted version, the same way, like, Misha was an exaggeration. I hope this was an exaggeration of Jared, because we get this, like, super rich and famous, kind of, like, full of himself uh, version of this Jared in the world. Like, he literally has these, like, giant, like, ridiculous paintings of his face and Jen's face, like, in their oversized study of a living room like it just feels like if I asked a child to like draw like a millionaire's mansion this is what they would do I thought that this was hilarious I think that they did some really good choices in terms of set design here even just having the alpaca <laughs> like I just love that she's like it's the greenest animal and they live in like some mansion with a tanning bed like what the fuck you're Life is not green. <laughs> Why do you want to have a green animal? Anyway, but the first example that we get of like Jared being like this hoity-toity actor is 
when Sam forgets Cliff's name, and like side note, Cliff worked as a, a Cliff is like a real person who worked as a bodyguard for J2. And in this episode, someone else got cast to play him. However, the real Cliff was in the episode. He's the person who's throwing mud at the Impala at the beginning. Oh my God. <laughs> the the meta-ness of the episode itself now. Jeez. I know. I love it. I this I am telling you, this is probably like, again, like my in my top tier of Supernatural episodes. So that being said, Cliff is like totally not surprised that Jared forgot his name or like didn't know his name, but they're in season six now. So he's been around him for six years. So the same way that like that episode Misha was a caricature of the real person Misha. This is showing us like a caricature of Jared as this actor who's like too self-absorbed to bother to learn the name of the person who is literally employed to keep him safe. And like, just to be clear, we're not laughing at anybody's fave here. We're just laughing at like the caricature as like they're presented on the show. We are making fun of Jensen, the character in this episode, and Jared, the character in this episode, and Misha, the character in this episode. I feel like I had to say all three of them. The energy they give off of like Jensen being vain and Jared being like, it weirdly also fits the like, (laughs) but like also, isn't that just main character energy? Like, I'm the protagonist, everyone else's side characters and NPCs. Yes, yes, I love how he's like, oh, I must be, I must be the star of this show. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I fucking love it. They're so good. Oh my God. So I also made fun of Jensen earlier. So obviously I need to make fun of Jared. Everybody's going to get a little bit of it today. Um, I just love that he's got like this tanning bed in his living room and like this huge ass black and white poster of himself as a cowboy in his office. I love his reaction to a tanning bed. Is he's It's so forward to him. His first thought was, is that a sarcophagus? Am I Dracula? Yeah, no, no, no. Tanning bed, sir. He's probably never seen one in his life. Like, you know what I mean? Okay, and like about the poster, like the the poster of himself, like as a cowboy, remember that this was like pre-Walker. So like, as far as I know, Jared had not played a cowboy before then. So it means that he specifically got those photos done out of pure vanity. And like, I just love that, honestly. (laughs) Like, I just, I think it's so brilliant. Headcanoning it right now, those were not done out of vanity. Those were a gift for Jen. Because he feels sexy photos of him as a black and white cowboy are a worthy gift for his wife. That's really funny. I absolutely love that. And I think Sam being in a role where he's like living the expected ex-hunter life, but he never really stops to like consider it or like as intriguing. Like it's they are so on the case both of them this episode. And again, understandable. You've been tossed out of your universe. It's a bit crazy. But even when he realizes he has money. His first instinct is use it to hunt better and more efficiently. You know, Sam, who up until about season four was sure he wanted to escape the life and go back to living happily in a home with a wife. And here it is literally on a silver platter. Like probably there are silver platters in this house. And here it is not even for a second. It just like, you know, let's try this out. No, no, it's just done. He has truly evolved to a point where his idea of out doesn't even occur to him anymore. I mean, I see what you're saying, um, and I, I don't disagree with anything, but I do think that in this episode, the fact that they're in an alternate universe and having to pretend to be other people is kind of like the biggest factor in this. So I think that if if we wanted to, we could say that Sam feels like this is somebody else's life because it is. It's not his life. It's Jared's life or, you know, episode Jared's life. I feel like the fact that even in that realm it's never even brought up of the, like, let me, like, there's a moment where he goes to see his wife, Jen, and, like, vaguely plays the part of her husband for, like, a split second in conversation, but, like, he never really truly thinks to explore it and at least find out what life could be like if he wasn't a hunter and in a world where Supernatural wasn't a real thing, Uh, and the fact that it doesn't even cross his mind, I think, says volumes about what, where he is emotionally and The only reason why I'm reluctant to say that, Drew, is just because, like, he would be literally living somebody else's life. He would be taking over, like, he wouldn't be building, he would not be building anything. He would be, like, picking it up where it is. And so, like, I don't really see Sam, like, 
considering staying. You know what I mean? Like, what is in this guy's life? Like, what could I have had in this universe? Okay, that's great. That's his, not mine. I'm out. I feel like they sort of do that. Like, I don't know. I feel like it could have been more, but also, again, constraints to the episode. I don't think they needed to. It just sort of left me kind of wondering, like, if I could have, like, five more minutes of time of them, like, in Jared's place, like, figuring shit out about this world, I think would have been, like, a great extra bit. I'm going to say something here. Because we're going to find out a bit more about that when it comes to Sam. And I know for a fact that you are going to hate every minute of this. And every time you're going to complain about it, I will remind you that you asked for this. (laughs) Okay, challenge accepted. (laughs) I try to like gently guide you. And then when you don't get the message, I'm like, sir, I'm sorry to tell you. That this will not end the way you want it to. <laughs> Sir, I know you want to sit on this chair, but it's not a chair, it's a bear trap. Exactly. I tried to be polite about it, but you're exactly. already sitting in it and bleeding. 100%. That's exactly what's going on. I'm like, I don't know that this is really something that Sam would do. And you're like, no, they needed to do this. I'm like, okay, well then. Let's see what you feel about that a couple seasons from now. Coming back to this, because I praised Jensen in the acting scene, I also need to praise Jared because, like, the way that he delivers... I'm sorry, I can't say it. Like, if if there's a key, then there has to be a lock, is probably, like, the best thing that I've ever seen on television. (laughs) Oh, but it's even better when it goes on, because then goes the, and then you'll have the weapons, but then you'll also have the lock because it was there. It's so bad. Because you had the key. Like, it's just... Like, there was a part of me where I was, like, almost expecting them to be good at this because they would just be themselves. But, like, obviously that wasn't the case. Why did I even consider that? Honestly, I love how game everybody was to do this. It shows that they know what they're doing, you know, in, in every sense of the way. That everything is thought out, everything is calculated, or or strategic, because calculated kind of makes it sound like it's nefarious, which I don't think it is. But, like, they know what they're doing, and a lot of thought does go into the making of this show. And I just want to mention this here as well, because I do know that this is a contentious point, like, in the fandom, but the episode, like, strongly implies that Sam sleeps with Jen while she thinks that he's actually Jared. So... Obviously, if we're going to be looking at this episode as a way to, like, think about real-life situations, don't pretend to be someone else in order to sleep with someone. There. It's said. I, like, literally, like, had to take a second. Like, when did that? Oh, my God, that did happen. Ew, gross. Oh, God. Oh. Okay, yeah, no. Let's. mm, I'm done. That's. Nope. Nope. Never mind. Sour taste. Who was behind this masterpiece? Like, just flat out. It was Ben Edlund um, who wrote it, and it was directed by Charles Beeson. It also originally aired on February 25, 2011. I, you know what? Like, I think we've praised this episode enough. I don't need, I mean, I could sit here and praise it for another hour. I could sit here and just, like, write prose and poetry about these two, but, like... Well, how about you get us started on the Hunter's Journal instead? Sure. Um, hi. Is, is, is it on? We're recording. Okay. Um, hello. I never done this sort of thing. Uh, usually my work is a bit more under the radar. What? Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, here, here. My name. I'm a hunter. I don't hunt deer or birds like other hunters you might know. I hunt the supernatural, the creatures that go bump in the night. Who wrote this? A child? You did. I'm sorry. Yes. Um. Okay. Yes. Uh. I love it. Oh, it's great. Yes. Mm-hmm. Let's keep rolling. Sure. Uh, I got into the gig several years ago after being rescued by another hunter and witnessing a creature murder my best friend firsthand. Not pretty. Yeah, it's super traumatizing. You don't really get a chance to stop and find a therapist when every day you're in a new town, and even if I could book one on the go, kinda hard when you have no idea if your night's gonna be chilling your PJs and catch up on your shows or slicing your way out of the egg sack of some sort of horrible fish beast. Would I change it? <laughs> of course! Life is rough and dangerous. Did you did you catch the part about the fish beast eggs? Anyways, sure. I'd love to walk away, have a normal-ish life, work in a store, 
just talk to people and not stab things. Or decapitate vampires. Unfortunately, once you start, you can't really stop seeing the evil around every corner, and not doing anything can drive you pretty mad. That's good? Wait, what's ADR? B-roll footage? Sorry, uh, the last B-related monster I fought was before I had a camera phone. I love it. <laughs> I just wanted to like get, you know what, we're having a zany episode, let's have some fun with this one. And what thoughts would you have for us this week? So today I'm going to be reading a couple of paragraphs from a chapter called A Cicatricial Romance, Meta-Narrative, The Textual Wound, and a Grotesque View in Supernatural, written by Linda Howell, part of a book called Supernatural, Out-of-the-Box, Essays on the Meta-Textuality of the Series, which was edited by Lisa Macklem and Dominic Grace. And these paragraphs can be found on pages 130 and 131 of the book. So for context, this chapter talks about like textual trauma and like just trauma in general and like who is within the context of supernatural, who is the victim of the trauma, who is inflicting the trauma. And so this is the brief context of it. And that's what Howell calls the wound, the textual wound. So in Supernatural, the initial wound, the meta wound, comes from the episode Hollywood Babylon, where the story is that of a ghost haunting a stage sound for a low-budget horror film. The episode, however, introduces the names of behind-the-scenes players from the show. The cataclysm of this wound does not become readily apparent, though, until the show inserts self-reflective and self-reflexive meta-narrative in season four via its play-within-a-play adaptation, the book series Supernatural. The books and their author, Chuck Shirley, mark the intrusive wound whereby the text becomes a memento mori of sorts, which effectively kills the story but keeps its skull. The text goes even further into this metaphor in season six when, in The French Mistake, the show indulges in a sharp self-critique that A. kills off its creator, Eric Kripke, B. Inserts a layer of misogynistic commentary by way of having every man in the production meeting dismiss Sarah Gamble, who was the showrunner at the time of the episode, which is an interesting meta-commentary since she would have had to sign off on this interpretation. And C. Pointedly calls out fans for intrusive curiosity in the naming of the episode. The phrase, the French mistake, comes from a meta-narrative moment in the film Blazing Saddles, 1974. The end of this film includes an over-the-top musical number that dissolves the audience's belief in the film's western setting. The musical number shows a room full of dancing men who sing, and one line is about a French mistake, which is clearly a mockery of a popular RPF, real-person fiction, fandom that was prevalent at the time in this show's fans' paratext. This episode is a clear mirror to the 10th season fan fiction. Both episodes deliberately include specific paratextual readings, interpretations, and fan practices to highlight them and address them in text. That's a lot to digest. And I am going to be sitting here rereading this later because I need to like understand it in more detail. But like some of the things we didn't talk about, like you're right, Sarah Gamble having to sign off on this misogynistic view of her as a female exec in a sense as a c-level here the like idea of killing off kripke in like this very dramatic sense in his own show in the first season that he's not the showrunner anymore i think that that is just so fucking brilliant Oh, yeah, no. And the fact that it ties to Blazing Saddles of all things, Jesus, I didn't expect that. Well, because so at the end of Blazing Saddles, what happens is that they literally go through a window and into the set of like another movie. Yeah, they're basically on the lot. So they're going from film to film. They break into like a, I feel like there's a Monte, uh, um, like a Monte Cristo-esque thing goes on. They end up in like the, the dancing is kind of like um, a little Moulin Rouge-ish. But, like, they end up going through a bunch of other, like, atypical movie sets. And to go back to this idea of real-person fiction, like, I was thinking about it today, and at the end of the day, this episode is real-person fiction. It's Ben Edlund writing a fan fiction about Jared, Misha, and Jensen, and what that would look like within the supernatural universe. Like, I'll be honest, I saw your tweet today. Very apt. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) 
And I also think that there's something else here like that I just kind of want to mention. And it's the fact that like this phrase, the show indulges in a sharp self-critique, which is just so incredibly delicious because again, like it shows that they knew what they were doing all along. Like, you know, this idea of like, the layer of, of misogynistic commentary. I don't think the commentary itself is misogynistic, but I think it's a commentary on the misogyny that Sarah Gamble probably experienced. I feel like to put it into layman's terms almost, it's kind of that expression of like, there's a little truth to every lie. Well, to every joke, especially. Yes. So like, we're making this joke. It's funny. haha, Because it's based in reality and it's something I deal with daily. So I have to joke about it. Well, there you go. And it also plays, again, with real person fiction, which I think is really, really funny because Supernatural knows that, like, it has an avid fan base that writes real person fic about its actors. Like, we know. No matter where you are in the fandom, like, this is the thing. And I think I like to point out this is, like, consensual RFP. Or RPF, sorry. Like, they are in on this one. They're in on it. Yeah, absolutely. They're definitely in on it. Overall, I think it was an amazing thing to bring up, like, that entire paragraph. I, like, what what a well put together and well thought, like, understanding of this it was, It's a really, really good essay. Honestly, I really do recommend it. Let's go have a listen to what our community has to say. This week, we have a message from Ella. Before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail. To respond to anything we discussed today, you can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. We also want to remind you that Drew and I are going to be answering the question, who would play you in a dramatic retelling of Carrying Wayward, the podcast, the movie? And do you have a better <laughs> name for this film? For our Roadhouse supporters on our Impala Talk. Stay to the very end of the episode to hear a short clip. Hi, Marie. Hi, Drew. Um... I've just listened to your episode uh, for 518, The Point of No Return, and I just wanted to add something that I've been thinking about regarding that episode and Dean um, and how he uh, he treats his loved ones in the episode while he's, as you discussed, being pretty actively suicidal. So I guess trigger warning for that. Uh we talked a lot about it on my pod recently, so it's really fresh in my head. To me, the way he treats the three like people in his life um, in that episode is different and targeted. Uh, he seems to be trying to be specifically the worst version of himself with each of them um, so that they either won't care when he dies or that they will, you know, help him with his plan to say yes to Michael. Um, so with Bobby, uh, when Bobby's comforting him and calls him son, he says to him, you're not my father and you ain't in my shoes. So that's like rejecting the love and understanding from Bobby that he usually gets specifically. And then with Sam, um, his overall dismissing of Sam's hope uh, that they will find a better way. And then he also explicitly tells him that he doesn't believe in him to be strong enough to not say yes to Lucifer. Uh which is like co-signing Sam's fears about himself. So he says like, don't say that to me, not you of all people. That, yeah. And then with Cass, um, as you talked about in the episode, um, it's interesting because he seems to be targeting their bond and like the friendship that they've been building. But like you said, uh, Marie, it's so homoerotic. Um, so to me, that implies that he knows that there is something deeper going on with them. And he's teasing Cass about it. Like, he's making light of all they've been through together. He's insulting Cass's humanity in a way because it's what has made Cass different from the other angels. You know, not all of them, but, you know, the majority um, so far. Uh, so that, of course, works in, like, making Cass angry at him and then the plea to finish it in the alley. Um and, like, while I think the writers seem to have just intended it to be about what Cass has done for Dean so far, like, you know, falling and, like, helping them, uh, particularly in the end of the last season, uh, by making the teasing so sexual uh, and, like, <laughs> like you said, homoerotic, I think it adds another layer to be read into. Like, if there isn't anything between them, then the teasing shouldn't hurt. You know what I mean? 
anyway, um, sorry for the little mini essay. I just, this episode makes me crazy. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I really enjoyed your talk on it. So thanks, guys. Ella, thank you. I am a big fan of essay voicemails, so please and thank you. Yeah, looking back on that episode, it really is like a tough pill to swallow. I feel like it's such an emotionally charged episode for Dean in the way that he like very targetedly reverses people's attempts to keep him safe and like with them. You know, he's very, as you pointed out, he really picks at the thing that like he knows is what holds them together the thing that keeps them connected like very specifically bobby's father-like you know relationship to him and just he cuts that cord or you know sam saying i'll be there for you like i believe in you and him being like i don't believe in you cut the cord and then with Cass, i mean he puts the cards on the table you know he he abuses the fact that he knows there's more to them than what everyone sees even if we all clearly see it he doesn't think we do, but he did at this point makes it very blunt how he feels and who he is and like what their relationship is. And it's the only one where I feel like he kind of cracks a little bit. He, at the very end of that fight, that very homoerotic fight, he really does kind of give up and like throw away the facade of like, I'm doing this for the greater good and more of the, I'm doing this because I'm tired and I don't want to like lie anymore. And it's the fact that it's with Cass that he's able to have that moment of, like, brutal honesty that just speaks volumes for who Dean is. Ella, thank you so much for your voicemail. So you mentioned that you uh, talked about this episode on your podcast. And I just want to mention that your podcast is The Cast Cast, for anybody who doesn't know about it. Ella is one of the three co-hosts of this show, and they only cover the cast episodes of Supernatural. As we are recording this, the latest episode is The Cast Mistake. <laughs> wow. So by the way, they, they name, I, I think this is really clever, actually. So they, they use Cass in the title of every episode. So you've got like the Cast Mistake, like Cass Virgin, Caged Cass, Cass Matters. I am charmed, absolutely charmed by this. That is magic. If you liked Ella's voicemail, there must be more where that came from. So you can go have a look at that. To answer what you're what you're saying, I mean, I completely agree with you. We had to go back. I had to go back and reread a little bit of the notes for that episode because I'm like, oh, my goodness. OK, like Rolodex back like to that episode. Like what's going on? Like my brain just can't do all of that. So I had to go back to my notes and. I completely agree with you. I hadn't even noticed that, you know, if if the relationship was quote unquote, and I'm putting this in very heavy quotes, just a friendship, like if there was no sexual or romantic component to it, then the teasing shouldn't hurt. And And I hadn't noticed that. And so I want to thank you for highlighting that. I think, again, like hearing this voicemail in the context of the French mistake is just so illuminating because again, like if we go back to point of no return, like we're talking about how open some of this stuff is, like it's not in the subtext, it's in the text. It just, again, reminder that the, the creators of this show, everybody who was part of production, you know, and I, cause I don't want to pinpoint a certain like group of people. I don't want to pinpoint the writers. I don't want to pinpoint the execs. I don't want to pinpoint the actors. Like this is, everybody was like, in cahoots, right, to be able to create these episodes. And they knew what they were doing. There was a lot of intentionality that went into this episodes. And so, yeah, so everything that we see on screen is not a mistake. We are not making things up. We are not reading too much into it. If we see it, it was meant to be there. We keep getting voicemails that line up so well with our subjects. Because while this episode is so much about the metatextuality of the show, it's just a reminder that there's human beings making this show or were making this show every single step of the way. So all those things that we pick up on and discuss were put there by somebody. So while this episode, you know, does it very bluntly and kind of does it in a sarcastic way, in an elevated way. It's just a reminder that every episode has those little moments of like letting your feelings and letting your 
thoughts of the characters slip in, whether that be from the actors, the writers, the execs, or anyone, they all have a fingerprint that gets left on the show. Mm -hmm. Set design as well. We're going to talk a lot about that. Before we move on, I just want to read you another title from the cast cast. (laughs) (laughs) You can't handle the cast. (laughs) I love it. I love it so much. Oh, my God. If I ever find myself not backlogged on podcasts and have room for a new episode, I need to start exploring more of our other supernatural creators without being spoiled, obviously. But like, I don't don't know if they're going to reference things that we haven't seen yet. So I'm always super cautious of consuming any kind of supernatural fan related content. Yeah. You know what? I'll put out a call for you on Twitter. If Ella or any of the cast cast listeners want to give me kind of like safe episodes or a safe point to listen to, like. I would love to have a few of these on those like nights where I have a little more time to listen while I game. Drew, is there anything you'd like to reflect on with regards to this episode? Well, it's funny you'd ask. The answer is no. I literally spent two days writing these notes and like I couldn't find anything to reflect on in the episode, but a call to action for sure. I have worked very minor, very amateur In the film industry, I've worked on the set of a few movies. Um, I actually did set design and learned the nightmare of recreating a set the next day and making sure it matches shot to shot. Oh my God, have I ever spent more time organizing GQ magazines on a coffee table? Oh my God. But I'm reminded how much I enjoy this. And again, I have kind of taken it up in my life recently to be more involved in local scenes. I have been attending more art shows. I have been getting involved in more small local projects. Uh, I'm attending a woodshop class next week to make a wine stopper. Like I'm going out, I'm meeting people, I'm doing things. So this is my call to action to see what the film scene is like here in Halifax and try to get involved again because I really do miss it. And we'll see, we'll see what happens. And for you, Mary, what do you have to reflect on this week, if anything? Well, I'm actually very drawn to like this idea of metatextuality and how we can maybe apply it to daily life. And so I think I'm feeling called to like notice how I think and how I talk about myself and my life because like that meta must also have an impact on the text of my own life. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Shulman and myself, Marie Vigourou. Thank you to everyone supporting us on Coffee or Patreon, and an extra thank you to our Bunker supporters, Katira, L, and Jeremiah Thomas. This week, we'd like to thank Ella for her message. You can find the links to all our social media and our merch store at carryingwayward.com. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to us. And if you like Carrying Wayward and you'd like to support us in our project to go through all 15 seasons of Supernatural, you can support us through Coffee or Patreon, and you can find those links at carryingwayward.com. Carry on, our wayward friends! I went for a Sam delivery. (laughs) (laughs) Is there a better title for this? No, first of all, like no notes on the title. This is what it has to be called. It will be in my contract when I give up the rights, like when I sell the rights, right? Like when I sell my share of the rights, 100%. Uh, this is what the title must be. No, I, yeah, I'm i totally on board with it. I, I want this to be like a moment in like history where like one day you and I will be looking back on this episode going like, we really just ran with that joke and let it go, didn't we? Yeah, I guess so. 